Thank you, James. I, good morning, everyone, and good morning, those of you who are joining us from your uh, living rooms today and on the Internet and perhaps watching this as a recorded uh, announcement. I appreciate you joining us. The uh, elders here have uh, taken a, a clear shepherding step and have asked that I address you as a congregation and provide information that we have uh, in the medical community to you as a group of Christians so that you can know how to apply what you're hearing in the media, what you're hearing through uh, sources of education and hearing in your own workplace, and apply that to your own family, uh, but also apply it to the communities in which we live. Uh, I'd like to begin with a disclaimer before talking about coronavirus. The first is I am a physician, uh, a family practice physician who practices in the state of Alaska. I also currently serve as the Chief Medical Officer for the State of Alaska Department of Corrections. It's important that you understand the comments that I'm about to give do not represent necessarily those of the state government in Alaska, nor should they replace any uh, information that you receive from your personal physician. Uh, Today I am wearing one primary hat, and that is as a follower of Christ who happens to know something about the virus that is causing a pandemic. I want to share that to you uh, and and share that with you because you, under Christ, are part of my family. So consider this a call from a family member, a text from uh, a concerned family member. And I want us, as a congregation, to know what we can do in this place and time regarding this pandemic. It's important to know that pandemics throughout the history of Christianity have not been something that have scared us. We have been a part of every pandemic over the last 2,000 years, and even from the beginning, there was a complaint made about Christians by the Roman government at the time, 2,000 years ago. They complained that it was the Christians who did not only take care of their own, but they took care of everyone else. It was a statement meant to shame the rest of the community to say, let's all take care of each other. But specifically from the beginning, they recognized there was something different about this group of people who claimed to follow Christ because they not only took care of their own interests, but they seemed to be following someone who said, take care of the interests of others, including those in the, in the community. So this is not something that is foreign to us. This pandemic that we are currently experiencing throughout the world is a pandemic of coronavirus. And it's important to understand that any time there is a world pandemic, There are actually four epidemics that have to be managed. The first of those, of course, is the epidemic of the virus itself. And from a medical perspective, we know what to do, and we are enacting what needs to happen to slow that pandemic. What's harder to control are the other three pandemics, the pandemic of fear, of misinformation, of stigma. And that, again, is where Christians can step in, because you, as followers of Christ, know that we are not motivated by fear or misinformation or stigma. We are motivated by faith and by truth and by love. And we can respond to the very same uh, worldwide issue, but to do so with tools and with a perspective and with an understanding that will make a difference and create a sense of calm and to be able to increase that faith and the, and the truth and the love among those uh, that we live with. So let me tell you a little bit about the virus itself. I would like in order to combat some of the misinformation to make sure you understand the virus that is spreading throughout the world. This is a virus called coronavirus. It's a virus very similar to an organism that causes the common cold uh, every year. 
It also causes very severe disease, like you may have heard of SARS or MERS in past years. And so it, it's a type of virus that can cause a wide spectrum of disease. The reason this virus is different is that prior to now, no human beings have ever been exposed to this particular virus. So when it drops into a community, it can spread like wildfire through tinder because no one is immune. There are no vaccines and there are no uh, prior treatments. And the problem with this virus is not that it kills so many people. It's that it causes so many people to be sick at the same time that it overwhelms our infrastructure. It overwhelms our hospitals, our clinics. It overwhelms our public safety infrastructure so that it's hard to take care of this number of people who get ill at the same time. So experts who study this say that you have to think of it as two different curves. The curve that we expect is a curve that, if we do nothing, looks much like a construction cone, where the x-axis is time and the y-axis is how many people have the virus. And so you can imagine, if you've watched how the virus hit China and then Italy, and now in places in Europe, and even in places uh, in the lower 48, that you see this rapid rise in the number of people who get the virus, and then after a while, usually two to three months, it starts to rapidly fall again, and that would look very much like a cone. The problem is that that cone is so high at one time that large numbers of hospital beds have to be taken up with people who have the virus all at the same time, and the other services have to be pushed aside. That's what's dangerous for a community. And then you have healthcare workers who can become ill, and it lowers the number of people who can provide care. And so the idea is to do what we can to flatten that curve, to make it look more like a loaf of bread. Instead of being a high peak, to let it run through a community very slowly, and then to pass away or to go away in a way that doesn't overwhelm our infrastructure at any one time. There are particular individuals in our community who are extremely high risk from this virus. The virus itself does not seem to hit children very hard, but it does hit the elderly. Those who are over age 60 seems to be at the highest risk, and the higher you get, or the older you get from age 60, the higher that risk increases of having a harmful outcome. About 80% of people who get this virus will have symptoms similar to uh, what you would have in a bad flu year. But about 15% of people have symptoms that are so bad that they need to be in the hospital. So you can imagine 15% of a given population having to move into a hospital setting can overwhelm that system. About 5% of people have to be in an ICU type of setting. And those tend to be, again, uh, our older individuals and those who have underlying uh, health diseases. The transmissibility of this virus is about two. And what that means is that for every person who has this disease, if they don't do anything to prevent the spread, they will spread that illness to two other individuals. Now imagine if those two individuals each spread it to two other individuals, and those spread it to two individuals. There would be an exponential rise, and that's why you have that large rapid peak uh, in the number of people in a community who can get a virus. So what starts as one can become many very rapidly. And so the question is, well, what can we do to prevent that spread so as to protect our community, our families, and each other? And there are three things that the experts tell us that we can all do and put into practice that will slow the spread of this virus through our communities. And the first of those is something that you have learned from the time you were children, and that is wash your hands. It's amazing what 20 seconds of soap, lather, uh, and washing of hands can do to eradicate such a small virus, passing it to others. 
Common hand sanitizer is also helpful, but it's important to know that soap and water does the same thing if you don't have access to uh, hand sanitizer. It's important to wash your hands before you touch common uh, objects or things that others may have touched, and it's important to wash your hands after you've touched those things. And by doing so, you're getting rid of that virus and spreading it to others. The reason this works is because this virus is spread by droplets. It's important to know this is not a virus that is in the air and a cloud all around us. It is spread by tiny little droplets that come out when we cough or we sneeze uh, or if we rub our eyes or nose or mouth and then touch another object, we're passing that droplet on. This virus can only spread if one person who has those droplets passes it to someone else nearby. And that's how we win is that we separate the ability for people to pass those droplets to another. So the first thing you can do to prevent that spread is wash your hands. The second thing that you can do is called environmental cleaning. And that means think of all the common surfaces where you live and think about how to keep those surfaces clean. We recommend cleaning surfaces at least three times a day uh, using any common detergent or wipe that you may have at home uh, or use what we call an end-of-use approach, meaning that at the end of using a tool that other people are using or end using an object or using a desk or a computer or a mouse or whatever lots of people are using, if you, at the end of using it, if you'll wipe that down, you're protecting the next person who comes to use uh, that computer. And that's called environmental cleaning. In large areas where groups use a common area, cleaning other surfaces, tabletops, in our case, pews or chairs. Remember what it's like when you sit down with a chair and be conscious of where you touch on that chair. How often do we grab the underside of a chair and scoot it forward one way or another? So there's more to clean than just what you see on the top. So be thinking of areas that you touch and how to keep those areas clean. So two things, wash hands. Second, environmental cleaning. And the third, experts tell us this virus is eradicated when we are able to practice something called social distancing. And this can apply to different situations, but mostly it means that we avoid large gatherings of people. So socially, we are distancing groups of people from each other that may have the virus circulating you know, within that group. And so avoiding large gatherings uh, in uh, social settings, if you are in a large crowd of people staying about six feet away from anyone who appears ill, if one of us today, if Pat or I were ill, uh, we should stay six feet away from each other. And the reason for that six-foot radius is that if I am sick and I sneeze, those droplets will fall within about six feet of the person next to me. A really hard cough will get the droplet about six feet away. And so that's the recommendation for the six-foot uh, social distancing. But you'll hear this concept of separating uh, people from one another. That's also why many congregations are moving to an online streaming provision of services and worship so that people can worship together in community, but do so in a way that socially distances themselves from each other for the duration of time it takes for this virus to, in essence, pass over. So those are the three things that every one of us can put into practice that we can do as a congregation as an, and as individuals that will protect you, will protect your coworkers, protect your family, and protect the congregation. But how do we, as Christians, respond to this differently? The recommendations that I've just given you and all the information that I give you is what is provided to our entire community. This is the information provided to the world. And we do many of the same things. But what is it 
about our response that is different. I'd have you think about three things. The first is this. As Christians, we may do the same things that are recommended for all of our friends and family throughout the world, but we do it for a different reason. When we wash our hands, I do not wash my hands because of fear. I do not wash my hands because of self-preservation. I wash my hands out of love. It is because I want to protect you, whom I love, a person for whom Christ died. When I practice environmental cleaning, I am saying a prayer in my mind because the people who will also use these surfaces are people for whom Christ died. It is an act of love. When we practice social distancing, it is not because I do not care about others. It is specifically because we care about our community and we care about the world in which we live that God loves, that God provided his son for, that we socially distance. But here's the second thing that we have to keep in mind, and that is that we as Christians have an eye for taking care of the most vulnerable in our population. In fact, we have a mandate to do so. We are to watch for the hungry, thirsty, naked, stranger who happens to be sick or in prison. And we are told that to take care of those individuals is to take care of Christ himself. And so we have to have an eye for those who are most vulnerable throughout this pandemic. And it's important to understand that social distancing is only a few inches away from social isolation. There are many people in our community, our church community, and in our uh, town and in our state who during this period of social distancing will begin to feel very much feel very much alone. And it is up to us, those who are followers of Christ, to be mindful of where those individuals are in our community. They may be in our family, maybe in our congregation, maybe in our neighborhood. But it's it's our time to step up, to be that good neighbor who checks on someone in your neighborhood, to be that one who calls uh, someone in our congregation who can't be around others right now and ask, what do you need? What groceries can be picked up? What can you do as a liaison to help them if they were to get sick, to get to the doctor's office, to get to the hospital, to be a translator? What can you do within uh, within your larger town and even at work to be of service to your co-workers? It's important to keep that eye that Jesus has given us to not only look to our own interests, but also to the interest of others. And then the third thing that makes it our response as Christians different than uh, than the rest of the world and the rest of the information that you'll hear is that we have access to a source of wisdom that we must take advantage of. Uh, we are told in James that if we lack wisdom, we should ask God who gives without finding fault to anyone who asks. And I imagine that all of us will have many questions in the coming weeks and months about what am I to do for my own family, questions about travel, questions about work, questions about how I take care of a sick family member, uh, questions about how can, I, how can I help in my community, and realize that we have a, a access to a source of wisdom to ask for God's wisdom in guiding us as a congregation, as a group of God's people in this world on how we can help address this pandemic in our time, just as our brothers and sisters have done for the last 2,000 years with every pandemic that has crossed the world uh, since then. So thank you for your time. May God bless our attempt in our time to uh, follow in Jesus' steps and serve our world.